those practices were taxing and physically and mentally like the practices were so difficult that when we got to the game it was kind of like oh this isn't so bad you know like we did more competition fierce competition and in practice and or they would put a restriction on you, you know like you guys are down you know they put the stars up and say you're down a goal there's 10 minutes to go oh and so and so just got a red card so you're playing in a practice under pressure and so that when you get to the game you, it's not like you can relax but you're like oh okay and you just play and have fun when you're training at, at practice like with the national team and with anson's teams if you can get through a practice in one piece then you're in pretty good shape right you, you know when the game comes it's, it's going to be then you can you've already done it you've already done all the work the stress and now you just play you're listening to the vision of a champion podcast with anson dorrance eight-time coach of the year 22-time national champion coach of the 1991 Women's World Cup team, Hall of Famer, leader, and mentor to so many in the soccer community. On this podcast, Anson brings on players and coaches to discuss what it means to be a champion, the drive, the passion, the desire, and yes, the stories. Here's your host, Natalie Bodie. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Vision of a Champion podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Bodie, a color analyst for the Tar Heel Women's Soccer Program and the North Carolina Courage. For today's episode, we will analyze Chapter 6, Soccer Basics. In Chapter 6, Anson lays out three basic elements of the game that every player can utilize to increase their level of play. These elements are game sense, being a leader, and becoming a student of the game. Whether you're on the field, on the sidelines, or watching from the stands, these are parts of your game that every player should continue to develop. While basic in nature, only the greatest players are proficient in all three. Thankfully for Anson and for myself, we are joined by one of these great players, Tisha Venturini-Hoke, who will talk about what it takes to develop these three basic soccer concepts along myself and Anson. Tisha played at UNC from 1991 to 1994. She was an NCAA champion all four years at Carolina. With 132 caps and 44 goals, Tisha is one of the more decorated U.S. women's national team players as well. She won a gold medal at the 1996 Summer Olympics and is a part of that legendary 1999 World Cup championship team. After her time with the national team, she continued her greatness professionally, winning a championship in the inaugural season of the league with the Bay Area Cyber Rays. Tisha recently teamed up with fellow UNC and U.S. Women's National Team superstars Mia Hamm and Christine Lilly to start the renowned Team First Soccer Academy, where she continues to develop the top youth talent in the country. And of course, this podcast includes Anson Dorrance, the man who has made his career teaching these soccer basics and is considered the best to ever do it. With 22 NCAA championships and a World Cup championship, Anson has coached these basics to some of the best female soccer players in the history of the sport, including our guest today. It is a pleasure to have you both here. Thank you. Great to be here. Anson, I'm going to just toss you one off the top. We were talking before the podcast about this famed UNC Women's Soccer Parents Hall of Fame. So I know you got a story about that you want to tell us. Let's get right into it. Uh, Natalie, thank you. Yeah, I have to tell the story. It's one of my absolute favorites. Uh, We were recruiting Tish, and 
obviously this is a kid from Northern California and I know that she was debating when we were recruiting her, do I really want to go across the country to go to school? I mean, there's so many good schools here locally, you know, should I just stay here uh, in the Bay area? Uh, should I just stay on the West coast? And I know this was an, a very difficult decision for uh, Tisha to make, to come all the way across the country to the university of North Carolina. I got to know the family really well. And I remember uh, I was in a panic because I was losing some of the top players in my recruiting class that I hadn't offered any money to because all of my money was tied up in Tish. Tish was clearly one of the best players in the country coming out of high school that year. So I had offered her a full scholarship. And so I'm on the phone with Chick Venturini, Tish's dad, that I'm saying, Chick, uh, I am just so sorry, but we're losing our whole recruiting class up. <laughs> waiting for Tish to make up her mind. Uh, do you know when she's going to decide whether or not she wants to come? And Chick was absolutely wonderful. And this is why he's in the Women's Soccer, you know, Parents Hall of Fame. He said, Anson, you know, oh, please don't worry about it. Uh, if my daughter decides to go to North Carolina, I can certainly afford it. So please don't worry about the scholarship. If you need to spend it to get some of the other kids you're chasing, please, you know, make that phone call and get it done because if, uh, if my daughter says, you know what, dad, I'm going to go to North Carolina. I'm going to send her there. Please don't worry about it. And it was like I had died and gone to heaven. Are you <laughs> kidding me? I mean, no parent says that. They just don't say that. It's all about, you know, their ego and their, the ego of their kids. And you know, they want to be able to go down to the barbershop and say, oh, my kid's on a full scholarship somewhere. And, you know, all these collisions of egos and everything else is so tied up in so many of these decisions the parents are making. So this is great. So Chick gave me full reign to, you know, spend her scholarship. And this is an absolute true story. That night, I called Danielle Egan, and I called Roz Santana, and I took Tish's full scholarship. I cut it in half, and they both committed on the spot. So all of a sudden, Danielle Egan, who was my left back, and Roz Santana, who was my right back, ended up committing to the University of North Carolina. And here's what was really cool. Holy cow, did those kids go on a great run. We won four in a row that year. And part of the reason is because we had so much quality on our team uh, because Chick didn't have any issue with paying for everything in Tish's <laughs> first year. Now, for full disclosure, I mean, from her sophomore year on, we put her back on the full. Uh, but I'll tell you this, wow, did that impact on our recruiting in the most positive way. And for the listeners to this podcast that don't know, uh, you know, who Daniel Egan are or Roz Santana are, Daniel Egan married Claudio Reyna. Daniel Egan's son, Gio Reyna, is considered the best American player in his age group in the world. He just played in a Champions League game as a 17-year-old, got an assist. So basically, that's almost the first couple in American soccer to have Claudio Reyna, one of the all-time greats on the men's side, married to Danielle, who, like Tish, uh, played for a stretch on the U.S. full national team for the women. Uh, and now they're producing, I mean, some of the greatest players in the world. Uh, and then Roz Santana married uh, Greg uh, Berhalter, who, of course, is the U.S. men's full national team coach. And so basically with that one gesture from Chick Venturini, our recruiting class just went through the roof, and that team and its quality went through the roof. And uh, that's a part of the great legacy. So uh, right out of the gate, I just wanted uh, Tish to know my incredible loves, not just for her, but for her dad that just put us in this amazing position. 
So there we go. That's the story. And, which I never knew any of until maybe a couple years ago. Actually, I think you told, first time you told me that, Ants, we were out to dinner in Chapel Hill, and you told that story, and I had no idea. Well, there again, that's a, that's an example of who Chick is. I mean, this stuff, you know, wasn't uh, critical for supporting his ego. No. I mean, this is an extraordinarily successful man. Uh, he was a doctor. He had no issue with uh, picking up the cost of sending his kid to school. And this is what drives all of us in the coaching profession crazy, because does that mean if your kid didn't have this athletic talent, you wouldn't be sending her to college? No. All the parents across the country are sending their kids to college. But then all of a sudden, if they have an athletic talent, all of a sudden now, well, now they have to, it has to be market value. I've invested, you know, every weekend I you know, flew my kids somewhere or drove her somewhere. I want to be repaid for this. And no, 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 no. Chick understands, you know, what's important. Yeah, and Roz and Danny end up being like two of my best friends still today. I mean, we still talk. And, and my parents and Danielle's parents were like travel buddies. They went to every game, stayed in the hotel together, ate dinner together. So really great relationships came from all this. So thank goodness he, uh, he did that, man. That, that's unbelievable. So for all the soccer parents out there, obviously a great page to take out of your father's book, Tisha. But Moving on, so a lot of this chapter is about game sense and how game sense turns good players into elite players. So Anson, if you want to take the floor here and kind of elaborate on, you know, what does game sense truly mean? And maybe you could even touch on Tish's game sense or other notable players and how they use their game sense. Sure. Well, let me start with Tish. Um, what I loved about her when she came in is how complete she was. But also she checked every box in midfield. I mean, very rarely do you have a midfielder that can do everything, uh, that can score goals, that can create goals, uh, that can defend, that can dominate the air. What was amazing about her ability in the air was her timing. It was almost like she knew exactly where the ball was going, and she had a perfect sense of how to time it, so she was at the peak of her jump. And so part of Tisha's game sense was her decision-making, knowing when to cut it back to keep it, knowing when to play forward, uh, knowing when to run forward because the number of goals she scored, and not just for us, by the way, I'm talking about for the Olympic team, the full national team, was extraordinary. In fact, I think her goal percentage out of midfield for the United States has to be one of the highest percentages of all the midfielders through the history of the U.S. national team from the beginning. So she was an absolutely complete player. So this is what I'm talking about, the sense of when to go forward, uh, the sense of when to pass forward. Uh, and her decision-making is what totally separated uh, Tish from her peer group. And then what I would love for Tish is what happened right after I took off and took uh, Mia and uh, Christine with me and tell me what you guys had to do, because I know you had to carry the show. So talk about what uh, Bill Palladino had to do with you and the team after we basically took the firepower away, because you won that national championship. So please tell all of us that story. Yeah, I just, I think, you know, when you lose a quality player and you lo we lost two of the best players in the world, everybody else steps up, you know, everybody else, you know, digs deeper. And Dina was so great about, like, if we're going to win, it's got to be like a total team effort. Like, the entire team has to contribute. You know, and that gives people, you know, a sense of, like, you know, oh, they need me, I'm important, and I want to help my team win. So I think it was really, like, I think we used every player on that roster in different circumstances and grind it out like we had to grind out some wins and I think it was uh, 
like Anson said, we would go for corner kicks and I'd try to get it on the frame and then we'd just, you know, kamikaze in the box so we got it in the net. But, you know, the mentality that we had at Carolina was 100% just go after it, high pressure, win every ball, chase everything down. And, you know, that's just embedded in every player that played there. So we still had that. We lost two of the best, but the rest of the team still had that mentality that we've, you know, that we've been taught and the heart to fight and win and, you know, the sense of team, which has always been number one from Anson and Dino and Tony DeChico. It's, it's the team, man. It's not individual. So you lose a couple individuals. So what? You know, everybody else can, can handle it. And we didn't panic. I don't think we were panicked about it. It wasn't like, oh, my God, they're gone. Now what are we going to do? It was like, all right. So I think Dino's kind of good about that, keeping everybody kind of calm. You know, it's like, yeah, what, you know, we might win. We might not. <laughs> I honestly don't remember, like, stressing out about it or thinking too much about it. I was excited for the girls. We were fired up for them to go over to China and Anson. And I remember getting faxes because, of course, there was no email or whatever. We'd get a fax if they won the game or what, you know, and Carolina <laughs> team would – would get together and wait for the facts to come out and then we could cheer and stuff. So it was a unique, a unique year, but I think it was a great year for the rest of the team to kind of find their spot and, and help contribute to a winning season. So Tisha, you mentioned that theme of team first. Well, speaking of team first, we know that you co-founded with Mia Hamm and Christine Lilly, the team first soccer Academy. So I want to give you a chance to kind of expand on how that came to be. And obviously just the underlying team first theme throughout some of your career at Carolina or all of your career at Carolina. And then now in the coaching aspect. Yeah, I mean, Christine and Mia and myself and actually Ange, Angela Kelly is also part of this group. We were, we were just such great friends and we, we loved being on the field together so much that when we ended up, people were retiring and we weren't playing and we weren't spending any time together because Ange is coaching, Lil's still playing, Mia's doing her thing, I'm over here. So it was really hard for us to spend time together. And so we thought, well, if we just start doing some camps, we'd be able to hang. Mostly we want to just be together and have some fun. Like, so we started, you know, we got, got together and met. We're like, let's just do like eight times a year. Maybe we'll throw some camps here that will give us some time to spend together and really be around the game that, that taught us so much that we love. You know, it's be great to share our experience and love for the game to the youth. Uh, and so when we were trying to think of a name, of course, Lil and I were like, let's name it the, the Mia Ham soccer camp. <laughs> like, who's not going to come to that, right? And of course, Mia, because of the way she is and extremely humble and wants no attention, is like, no way, we're not doing that. So we pitted around and team, team and, and team first, whatever, the words kept coming out. So we were like, team first. It's brilliant. Like, that is what we are about. We have always put our team first, and it comes from Anson way back, you know, in early days, and Dino and Tony DeChico. It was never about one player. It was always about the team and how can you make your team better and are you going to be great for your team. It was never about yourself. And, man, did that have power. And It, 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 was, it was so brilliant. So that's, that's when anybody asks us, it's team first. It's no other option. And we've had a great time. We've been doing it for like 10 years. We go around the country and, and teach, you know, young kids, boys. We've added boys. We used to do girls only. Like, well, let's bring the boys in. Because when we were young, we played with the boys. Like, that's what we did. And it was great for us. And it was great for them. So we do co-ed camps. And honestly, we just want to teach the kids about being a good teammate. Because people have kind of lost sight of that. It's all about how good am I going to be? And how am I going to get a scholarship? And look at me. I scored 50 goals. 
it's not about that, you know, it's about being a good teammate and it's about fun. Like we had so much fun and Ansel will tell you, I mean, we, we were serious and we would, you know, work our tails off, but it was fun. It has to be fun. And so that's the other part that we kind of try to hammer into them is enjoy the game and love it, but you gotta have fun. And first of all, be a great teammate. Hey everyone, we're going to take a quick break here to tell you about our sponsor, Soccer.com. Anson has been coaching for 44 years and it seems like Soccer.com has been around nearly that long as well. It's pretty close as the Soccer.com business has been family run and based in Hillsboro, North Carolina since 1984. If you're a player or a coach who needs soccer, shoes, equipment gear, whatever it may be, do what the pros do. Head on over to Soccer.com. And this podcast is also sponsored by Continental Tire. No matter where the road takes you, Continental Tire provides the confidence to get you there. For any surface and every season, from passenger cars to light trucks, there's a Continental Tire that delivers superior performance. To find your ideal tire, visit ContinentalTire.com. Continental Tire, official sponsor of the Vision of a Champion podcast. Anson, I want to give you a chance to kind of expand on the team first concept, but also I just want to bring to your attention that so many of your players are now elite coaches. So, you know, what's in your secret sauce for coaching that you have these players that just grow up to be, you know, exceptional coaches as well? Uh, Natalie, thank you for that question. Well, let me tell you, it was intentional. What we tried to do in the early days was to try to get people to understand that we needed them to serve the game. And I think Tish probably remembers this. Every now and again, I would say future <laughs> coaches of America when I was trying to teach something. And it was deliberate. It was intentional. What I was trying to get them to think of is that we needed them. We needed them as role models. We needed them because basically there weren't that many people originally that were really interested in the girls and women's game. I mean, I was encouraging my colleagues on the men's side to jump over. I was telling them, how much fun I was having coaching my women's team. And, and even though I started out as a men's coach, uh, I did that for three years. And then 10 years in a row, I was coaching men and women. And I was trying to get a lot of the elite uh, uh, male coaches to jump over and do both, which is what I was doing, but uh, to attract people into our game. And then obviously the best collection of people to be coaches were these kids I was training. And so that cliche I used regularly, future coaches of America. What, did I, what I wanted to plant in their brains was that we need you. We need you guys to be soccer, women's soccer, girls' soccer evangelists. And you know what they were? I mean, for all of Mia's extraordinary qualities on the field, the thing that, in my opinion, had the greatest impact for the growth of the girls' and women's game was the fact that Mia became this icon and everyone wanted their kid to be Mia. And so her contribution wasn't just on the field, it was off the field. And so all these different extraordinary people uh, that were role models for the women's game, but also coaches for the women's game uh, were really critical for us. And so I loved when they started this academy because first of all, I knew their friendships were important to them. But the other thing I loved about it is this was a collection of kids that had so much fun together at North Carolina. They wanted to figure out a way to stay together for the rest of their lives. And then what they were bringing, and I love what uh, Tish just shared with us about the theme of the camp. I mean, yeah, we're going to teach you some things about the game, but you know what? We're going to have fun. Because one of the biggest problems right now, by the time these kids hit 13, 14, 15, 16, 
right now in the United States, they're quitting the game in droves. And we have to change that. How do we change that? Let's return to making sure every practice is fun so that kid doesn't quit. Uh, so it's not all about, you know, making the full national team or winning that scholarship. Are you having fun? Are you enjoying this? And let's just find coaches that can make sure that's a part of the DNA of every practice session that they run. Tisha, is one of the players in Anson's coaching tree, so to speak, are there any aspects in your coaching style that you actually adopted from Anson? Jeez. Everything I know about the game comes from him, mostly from him and, and from Tony. Like when you're playing, you don't think you're learning the game so much. You know what I mean? But, I, but all of Anson's chalk talks were like exactly like super specific. Like this is what we're going to do. This is where you need to be. And you needed to know everybody's job. Right. So like, for instance, I was, I help out the high school and we were doing like a finishing drill, like crossing and finishing. And nobody was like sealing off the post right like and I'm like do they not know what this is like this is so I was teaching them after you know you make your near post run if it doesn't come to you you're going to turn and make the goal what like another yard bigger and be ready in case it miss hit it then you're easy goal right so I'm teaching these things and I'm going how do I know all this <laughs> like you know it's not stuff that I like wrote down but it's like every time I'm watching I could have stopped the practice 50 times and been like oh you need to do this like this is and why you know what I mean is like when they used to teach us, they would teach us why you do it. You know, they don't just say, go over there, you know, and make this run. It's, there's always a why. And that's why it stuck with me because then I, that's why I learned it. So, you know, little things about things that runs in the box and opening up in your body position. But why am I doing that? Like, that's so important. And they were so great about you knowing why you were doing something. That is a huge difference. Instead of making us robots just do this, it's like, he would say, what's your role? And what are you doing and why? And you have to say, you know, out loud to everyone. And he might ask you what the right back's role is and you're playing left forward and you got to know it. So secretly they were, you know, embedding all this information into us, but in a way where it wasn't, it wasn't like, a, you know, a soldier, like do this robot. It was a smart, effective way to get it into our brain so that we were learning it without realizing it. Anson, I want to ask you, when you're teaching your players to watch these games, is there a difference in how you tell them to watch the women's game versus the men's game? You know, do you have a preference? Well, what uh, we do now, just because the uh, coverage is so extraordinary, uh, we talk about the men's game being the university for the women's game, to be completely honest. And this isn't a part of the equal pay debate or anything. The men are still playing the game at the highest possible level. We aspire to get our game up to their level. And the other thing about the men's game that's so cool is in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, but also wherever you live in the United States, you've got a better conduit into the English Premier League than someone living in London. So the exposure we get to these extraordinary coaches and teams and players in the English Premier League is just off the charts. And there are few uh, leagues in the world of that standard where the best team can lose to the worst team and almost all the other top teams in the world the top teams in the bundesliga rarely lose to the teams in the bottom half of the table the same with spain and italy uh, but in the english premier league i mean all the teams can beat all the teams and i love it so i want my kids watching the game at the highest level but what i appreciate about your question natalie is this student of the game thing you can watch a game all kinds of ways. And I've got a story about what happened recently to me that really helped me see the game. When 
the uh, World Cup final for the men occurred in 2018. I watched it live. I watched it as a fan. So I left that game so impressed with Mbappe and the French. But I was watching it as a fan because, gosh, was watching Mbappe just incredibly exciting. And what a final he had. They put the game on again, and I watched it like three or four nights ago. And I'm watching the game, and I'm going, oh, my gosh. The Croatians are better than the French. In other words, this is a fluke, the fact the French won. So when I watch it the first time, I'm watching it as a fan, and I'm so excited about all the great players. And then this week, I'm watching it as a student, and my impression of the game did a 180. The only area where the Croatians were weak was in gold. Every other position, the average player of the 10 field players was superior to the average player of the French 10, which is why the French bunkered and countered. They basically sat in a low block. They had Mbappe up top, and they tried to get balls in behind uh, the Croatian defense. The Croatians had 68% of the possession, and they were so good on the ball, it was stunning for me. Because the only player I knew that played for Croatia was Luka Modric, and then uh, Mandukic, and that's it. Those are the only two names I knew on their roster. I knew the entire French roster because obviously a lot of them drifted into the EPL. So there is a different way to watch the game. And so, yes, always watch the game as a fan, but then when you are studying the game, you're going to have a completely different perspective. And so when we're studying the game as players at UNC, but also the uh, people I'm trying to, I guess, get to the next level, we want to watch it all kinds of different ways. And so for one of my young women, like a Tish, that had the potential to make the U.S. full team, what we have our kids do now is I actually want them to watch the national team and target the whole. In other words, target the weak link on the team and figure out a way how you're going to beat this player out. So now that's almost an aggressive student of the game because there's one of my kids that wants to play on the U.S. full team. And so let's study the U.S. team. And these players are getting older, and we talk about the ages of these players at the player conferences when I'm meeting with my kids. And now let's target that player. I think you can beat her out. Well, let me, let's look at her now. Here right now is where she's better than you are, and we have to get better here. But here is where you're better than she is. And so we've got all these different ways that we want our kids to watch the game. Tish, I want to give you a chance to kind of expand on how you watched and grew your game as an athlete, studying players or idolizing players. And additionally, if you want, kind of touch on how you encourage that as a coach as well. Well, back when I grew up, there was no one to watch. There was no women's national team. I don't remember seeing a soccer game on TV. Like there was really nowhere to watch. There was no YouTube to watch highlights. So it was those early days, I wasn't studying anything. I was in my backyard playing pickup with a bunch of boys and just figuring it out and, you know, figuring out how, how to get space probably. in. my brother used to kick balls from the, you know, part of our backyard to me and I would head it, you know, like that's probably where I got that talent, you know, it was like tinkering around in the backyard and just figuring it out with free play and pickup, which is a shame that kids aren't doing as much today that there's no free time to go out and kind of mess around because everything's so structured. But, but now as a, as, as there's so much to watch, I just, I've been eating it up. I watch games and I do watch as a fan, but all like, you know, see how their shape is and what they're doing on offense as a team shape, because these young kids don't understand shape at all or how to move. It's off the ball movement. I think that, that these kids, like my daughter's 12 and she's, when she has the ball, she's great. And then, then she gives it away and she kind of doesn't know where to go. You know what I mean? So I think it's little things like that 
And I think watching it with someone that can kind of talk you through it is helpful. So we'll watch the U.S. team play, and we'll watch, and she'll say, oh, did you see that pass? And we'll rewind it, and we'll watch the run, and we'll watch the delivery. And, it, it, you know, it's not all the goals we're watching. I'll, I'll be like, did you see that 50-yard ball that Sauerbrunn just hit? And Pino's first, you know, like little things like that. So I'm helping her with that. As a kid, I didn't really have that luxury, but it can make world a difference, man. I think just seeing it from the outside and, and kind of studying and watching, it makes all the difference. Anson, I kind of want to switch gears and go back to talking about that game sense, which also can sort of be developed by being a student of the game as we were touching on. But with that in mind, there's increasing support for cross-training, playing other sports, which actually aids in injury prevention. And I know that just from being a color analyst for your games this year, you have no problem with letting your girls play other sports. I mean, if it's lacrosse or it's basketball. So how do you encourage these elite athletes to not specialize? And, and what do you think are some of the benefits to playing multiple sports? Uh, Natalie, thank you. Well, let me uh, share my opinions on this because um, – I think sports should be fun. And I don't think we should go around, you know, telling kids that you know, they've got to commit themselves to one sport year round. Not that uh, you, you shouldn't have that choice if you want it, you should. But what I really disliked about what was happening for a while when the Development Academy all of a sudden descended into the youth game is they were, you know, throwing out high school soccer, which for me was just tragic because so many of these girls love their high school teams, their coaches, their community of the high schools they were playing for and representing. And I just didn't like that. And I also didn't like, uh, you know, all these uh, uh, DA coaches telling them they couldn't play for their basketball teams. And uh, Tish, let me ask you this. Didn't you play volleyball and basketball? Well, I played everything. But in high school, I played volleyball, soccer, and softball. Yeah, so this is what just drives me nuts. And then, uh, you know, I just finished reading this book called Range. And range is basically making the argument for all of us as athletes, as we're growing up to play everything. Because uh, I think the cross-training experience is positive. But I think the most positive thing about this cross-training experience is you fall in love with sports. And you know what? Sports should be fun. And yeah, you should be able to have a lot of fun with anything. And, and you know, people will be shocked to hear that one year I had picked uh, Christine Lilly uh, for my national team roster and she decided not to come on one of my world tours because she had a softball tournament. <laughs> and people that hear this story, they're just incredulous. And, but here's what they don't understand. Christine loved sport. She loved her softball coach. She loved her softball teammates. And that's what made her a great teammate with us on the women's national team. And so, yeah, I think a part of our moral imperative as parents and coaches is to make sure our kids love what they're doing and don't restrict it and pull it back. That's why I'm sure Tish will uh, appreciate this. Do you know one of my favorite events in the spring is watching my girls play intramural basketball. <laughs> I love it because they press for the entire game. <laughs> Half of them can't even play, but they can press, they can defend, they can move their feet, they can pass because they understand, you know, sport. And I go in, I support them to no end. And I love it at the end of the game, the other team, if it's a sorority or a, a dorm team or an open team, the other team's eyeballs are bulging out of their heads. They're exhausted from being pressed the entire time. My kids are having the time of their lives and I absolutely love it. I think what we have to do is to make sure that uh, these kids love sport. So don't restrict them from anything. Anything they wanna do, let them jump in. Now, eventually, 
if you want to become elite, you got to spend more time and specialize. But by then you love sports. And so uh, let's not make that too early. Let these kids play. You know, I would say at least into their 14s and 15s. And then, yep, you know what I'm thinking? Soccer is going to be my game. I love cross training. I love all sports. And I never want to be the person to tell a kid, no, 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 you can't do this because you've got to pour all of yourself into this. I think that's too much pressure. Tish, I wanted to just kind of expand on something, you know, in your repertoire that no other athlete has. And this was kind of astounding to me, just reading up on you and learning about all of your accomplishments. You're the only athlete in any sport to win all five of these titles. You were a collegiate champion in college at Carolina. You were a four-time national champion at Carolina. You were an Olympic gold medalist, a World Cup champion, and you were a professional champion. So you've won on every single level. And I just think that that's something so noteworthy that people need to remark on it. And I would just regret if I didn't ask you, recalling these experiences, maybe if you want to talk about a little bit the differences between them and the most memorable of these championships, since you have so many. Um, obviously, I was on a lot of great teams. <laughs> I mean, that's the first thing that comes to mind is, I, got, I was on great teams. Every one of those teams was phenomenal. And I think the main piece that goes with all of those teams, that it was a selfless, hardworking team that had fun and wanted to win and loved their teammates. Like, if you look at any of those teams, that's what it was. The four championships at Carolina were all very different because, you know, you have people coming in and people coming out and leaving and new kids and I think Anson Dino just did a phenomenal job. Like when you came there, you knew what was expected. Like you were expected to be fit, right? You were expected to be a great teammate and work hard. And it wasn't easy, man. I mean, those were, those practices were taxing and, and physically and mentally, you know, they, they put us through like the practices were so difficult that when we got to the game, it was kind of like, Oh, this isn't so bad. You know, like we did more, competition fierce competition and in practice and or they would put a restriction on you you know like you guys are down you know they put the stars up and say you're down a goal there's 10 minutes to go oh and so and so just got a red card now you're down a man you're down a goal and there's 10 you know like stuff like that where so you're playing in a practice under pressure you know and so that when you get to the game you it's not like you can relax but you're like oh okay and you just play and have fun like you don't have to worry about all these things and so being on teams with with teammates that are trained like that and that work like that um, and then have the same mentality that, heck, yeah, I'm going to win, but it's going to be fun, and it's not all about me. And that's how those, those teams work. I, I didn't have a whole lot to do with it. I just jumped right in and kind of went with the flow. But when you're training at, at practice like with the national team and with Anson's teams, if you can get through a practice in one piece, then you're in pretty good shape. Right. You know, when the game comes, it's, it's going to be then you can you've already done it. You've already done all the work, the stress. And now you just play. And so I'm not I didn't know I, I had any kind of I wasn't I mean, Mia's won a lot of things. Lil's won a lot. All those guys are phenomenal records. And but you know, what? we don't even think about that. Like if you ask Lil or Mia how many wins they've had or goals they scored, they don't care. They don't know. They just know they were on great teams uh, and had a friggin' great time. Anson, just another coaching question for you, because Carla Overbeck actually has a section in the chapter that describes her internal struggle to be vocal on the field as a freshman. So 
wrapping up, obviously both of you are, are coaching. So what do you do to counteract the implicit hierarchy of the team so that younger players are not afraid to be more vocal and they're comfortable doing so? Well, I don't know uh, how often uh, uh, Tish played with Carla. Uh, she was with you for a lot of the national team career, yeah. right, Tish? Yeah. In my whole, my whole career, nine, ten years, I played with Carla. Okay. What Natalie's referring to is in this chapter, uh, it was very difficult for us to get Carla to lead as a freshman. So when you're looking at the all-time great leaders, and Carla's certainly one of them, what Natalie's referring to is she just was reluctant to basically tell an upperclassman, you know, what to do on the field. And uh, so uh, let me share sort of that process for someone like Carla. First of all, like so many of these, and, and Tish is another example, she was a humble kid. She actually was kind of shocked that we started her as a freshman. She's in the best position on the field to lead from. She's in the middle of the defense, so the whole game's in front of her, uh, and she's in a perfect position to lead. And yet, because she was so humble, it was difficult for her too. The difference between her freshman year and senior year, though, was night and day. Her senior year, she had no issue. I mean, just her senior year was hilarious. She would say things like this. She would basically tell a player that, you track, 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 you know, oh, Julie, you've got to track, you've got to track. And then all of a sudden, Julie's not tracking. The next thing out of Carla's mouth is, Anson, get Julie out of here. So she would scream on the field for me to substitute a player that wasn't listening to her. That's so, awful. and of course, what am I doing? I'm warming up that substitute because Carla doesn't want to play with her. And all of a sudden, oh my gosh, and whenever Carla said something in the game, at least while she was playing for me, that person did it immediately because they knew what was coming out of Carla's mouth next. Get her out of here. She's killing us. And so it's, it, was, it was great. But that was the evolution of her leadership style because it's very hard for someone that's young to command the field verbally from certainly the older players. Carla's evolution, and, and Tish could drill into this even more. Uh, by the time she's, she was on the U.S. team, I mean, there are few leaders. In fact, there's a, a book that talks about the captains, and Carla was in this book just because she was such an extraordinary leader. Tish, what was your memories of how great she was as a leader? Because I loved having her on the field for me. Oh, oh heck yeah, because I played in the center midfield, and she was always right behind me, right? So she was always like, come on, come on, you know, like just giving you that, she could tell you were tired. She'd be like, dig it out, let's go. Like she had that grindy little voice, but if you made a mistake, she was like, no, who cares? Let's go get it next time. Every time I would hear her voice, I'd be like, thank God she's back there, you know? And, and she would encourage, like, if people weren't doing their job, you're going to hear it, man. And she could back it up because she was the fittest player out there. She was the hardworking, she knew everybody's job. It wasn't like she was just there bossing people around. She backed it up. She, could do, she was doing everything and more that she was asking you to do. So when you have a player that's like that, like a Christine Lilly, who he, he wasn't super verbal, but just is doing every, you know, leaving every ounce of her being out on the field, you're immediately like, oh, my God, I want to be like her. Like, I'm going to listen to what she says. So Carla had, could back it up, but she was such a positive Nothing rattled her. Like, we could be down 2-0, you know, with 20 minutes left, and she was calm, you know. It's like, come on, guys, you know, but not ever panic. Just amazing. And, and thank goodness she was behind. She, Fowdy and I played in front of her, and she would razz Fowdy like nobody's business. It, to keep it funny, right? She'd be like, what the hell are you doing, Julie? 
uh, you know, just to make, and then people would laugh, you know, if we needed a, a light moment to laugh, she would crack a joke, you know, even in the Olympic, you know, game, she would be making jokes. So she was, uh, it was an honor to be able to play in front of her midfield and, and have her as a captain, man, I'll tell you. That was Tisha Venturini Hoke, former UNC and U.S. Women's National Team player and co-founder of the Team First Soccer Academy. If you like this show, one way you can support our work is to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a rating and review as well. This show is edited and produced by Creative Allies. If you're looking for information on a full-service podcast production, head over to creativeallies.com. On behalf of myself, Natalie Bodie, our Hall of Fame coach, Anson Dorrance, and star athlete, Tish Venturini Hoke, we'll see you next time on the Vision of a Champion podcast. Hey, everyone. I hope you like this episode. And I just want to thank all of the people involved in making this happen and all of our sponsors, including outoffootball.com. In addition to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the usual podcast apps, you can listen to the show on outoffootball.com, which is a new women's soccer community that is helping elevate the sport through sharing some of the top women's matches, highlights, and athletes from around the world. Atta is enabling women's football to shine its brightest now and for generations of young female footballers to come. So visit adafootball.com to learn more. Hey fans, you can follow the Vision of a Champion podcast chapter by chapter by purchasing the hard paperback online. Simply go to AnsonDorrenceSoccer.com. If you are ordering the book, use promo code VISIONCHAMP. That's VISIONCHAMP to get a 15% discount. And thank you for listening to the Vision of a Champion podcast.